everyone. Uh, this is West Pine Bills. We are back after a long absence um, to kind of go through the week that was in Billiken basketball. What's ahead? Kind of catch up on all the stuff we've lost by not doing an episode since uh, the preseason and uh, just kind of talk about the season as a whole for SLU fans. So um, I'm John. Danny. And uh, yeah, we're just going to see where this episode takes us. So uh, we're dropping this the day before or the day of the first LaSalle game, which will be in Philadelphia at Tom Gola Arena. But, um, you know, before we get to that, we just want to walk through kind of the last, you know, week in the program. Um, you know, the, the Billikens have really picked up a ton of momentum coming not down the home stretch of the season, but towards the middle part of this conference season. They've won five straight games dating back to the second UMass matchup. And they just picked up two massive Q2 wins against George Mason and Dayton. Um, Dan, we're going to start with the George Mason game. And, you know, I believe you were the one who tweeted this out first. A lot of people have as well, but uh, you called this the Yuri Collins game. And very appropriately so, because this was, I don't think it's a stretch to say Yuri's best game is a Billiken. Yeah, I mean, that is... That's pretty much confirmed that this is his best game. I mean, we all know what he can do. Um, obviously, he leads the country in assists. He's just a calm, cool point guard, plays good defense, just really is able to run the offense. But, you know, in this Mason game, he gave us just a whole nother look to him where, you know, he played 47 out of 50 minutes. He had 13 assists, and the big number was the 35 points. I mean, perfect at the line. Three for seven from three, uh, only three fouls, only three turnovers. But the 35 points is something that we probably didn't think we would see from him, maybe at all, certainly not this year. Um, but, you know, he stepped up in a big way when he needed to, and, and he made the big shot at the end, too. Yeah, I mean, if you would have told me before the season that Yuri Collins would have a 35-point game, I definitely wouldn't have believed you. And that's no slight to Yuri, but he's never traditionally been a big time scoring guard. You know, he's having himself a really good year. As you said, he's leading the nation in assists as of this morning. I got to pull it up, but that leads widened a bit, actually. Um, assists per game. Yuri's sitting at 8.5 per game. Number two has 7.8. Uh, coming into this weekend, Jalen Moore, who was number two, was also just above eight, but he took a step back this weekend. So Yuri's kind of separating himself from the pack. And you know, showing that he's a first-rate distributor, but also a guy who can score the rock a bit. Um, not just 35 points against Dayton, but he had 16 against, uh, sorry, 35 against Mason. He had 16 against Dayton this weekend. And he's also, I believe, the last seven or eight games, averaging 13 and a half points. Yuri has stepped up his game to another level and really showing that he is, you know, a premier point guard in this country. Um, and that's not even to mention the fact that he had 19 assists earlier in game this year. So... <laughs> The kid's having a really good year. Oh, and by the way, he set the SLU career assist record like two and a half years into his career. He's going to obliterate that thing as long as he stays healthy and uses up his eligibility. So, you know, hats off to Yuri for a great week and just continuing to have a great season, but somehow being snubbed from the uh, Koozie Award watch list. So that's pretty nice. Yeah, and uh, and being named, I believe it was co-Atlantic 10 Player of the Week. Yeah, which is, okay. um, which is okay. I mean, I think it was Burton that had it with him, right? 
Yeah, Burton had it with him. I don't have his numbers up in front of me, but he had a good week. I think he averaged 26 points a game or something. But I'm not in I'm not a big fan of the way that A10 does awards. Um, it seems like they like to get as many guys awards as possible. Uh, you can look at them having six man all conference teams as another indication of that. I I think they should have stuck to their guns and named Yuri the player of the week. He had maybe the single most impressive performance of any A10 player this season against Mason. And I think that should be rewarded, be rewarded, you know, and not shared with anybody, but the conference does what they do. It's still a tremendous honor for him. I don't think it's going to be the last time he has one this season, because as we said earlier, his play is improving down the stretch, not getting worse. So it's very much on the table. He's also, um, since conference play started, I believe he's, 34 for 39 from the line. Yeah. Here he is. So, I mean, that's something that we saw kind of a hole last year. We knew that he was a good shooter in high school, um, kind of went away and wasn't up to snuff last year. But, you know, he's come back this year. I think on the year he's uh, he's up at about 81%. So, yeah. Yeah. Ever since, I mean, ever since Auburn, when, once conference started, and I'll include the Iona game, just because it helps. Uh, but I, I believe it's 34 for 39. And that's, I mean, you can't really ask for much more from, from him, from the line for that. Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, we had, we had pointed this out last week, maybe, I think it was after he went 10 for 10 from the line against Mason, you know, he, he definitely had a point in the year or sorry, last year he had a wrist injury that I believe he also had freshman year. I believe it, he had something issue with his ligaments in his wrist, but don't quote me on that. Um, but it had been said around the program that Yuri's a much better shooter, specifically from the foul line, than what he had shown through his first two seasons on campus. And, you know, obviously when you hear that, you take everything with a grain of salt. But through this year, after he got fully healthy in that department, you know, he's got a good stroke. And it's not just from the free throw line. He's shooting nearly 39% from three on the year, you know. I think it just might've been an issue of he just wasn't fully healthy. And that obviously is really important because your wrists are vital to your shot. So, I mean, even if he regresses a little bit to like 75%, he gets to the line pretty frequently. And this has just unlocked another aspect of his game that defenses have to worry about. It's great to see. Yeah. And he's now up to, I believe it's seven double doubles on the year. Yeah. And I think he has, it's also seven or six triple nickels. Um, and a very underrated aspect of his game this year is that he stepped up his rebounding a bit. He's averaging just under five a game. And it's kind of crazy that he's just this very well-rounded guard. And not to mention he's averaging over two steals. He's top 30 in the country last I checked. You know, just a, a rock-solid point guard. And yeah, I, mean, I mean, he's been triple nickel the last five games. Yeah. So... It, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's it's crazy against Dayton when he when he has six assists and that feels like a light day just because I mean, it is a light day. It's below a season average. It's just crazy to see that those numbers from a slew guard after you miss your best offensive weapon and conventional wisdom would tell you your assist might take a little bit of a hit. Um, it's just crazy. But kind of getting back to the Mason game as a whole, because I'm sure we'll talk more Yuri later. Um you know, the big story in that game was Yuri and Josh Aduro trading buckets down the stretch. Um, Josh Aduro had a monster game against the Bills, had 30 plus points. 
He got both of the slew bigs into foul trouble. Uh, Okoro and Martin Linson both fouled out. Um, but in, in overtime, they got a lot of contributions that were very understated from guys like Lucina Traore and most notably Fred Thatch. Fred, you know, Aduro still scored when Fred was guarding him, but he really disrupted what he was trying to do. And I don't think the Billikens win that game without, you know, a staunch defensive effort from a guy that might be their best defender. Yeah, I mean, you could tell there was a conceded effort once once Fred had switched on to Oduro, especially in the second overtime of him just keeping him, you know, off the block, keeping him a little farther up from the hoop, because that's that's where Oduro's gonna get, I mean, most of his most of his buckets, most of his points, and that's where he's most dangerous. So I mean, just to have a guy that maybe height wise and size wise doesn't quite measure up underneath, but a guy who can hold his own strength wise, we see we see Fred being able to force guys out of the post and then to be quick enough to, you know, maybe swipe the ball if he gets the chance or even just be able to play straight up defense. And I know that a lot of times refs will be a little lighter on the whistle when, um, when smaller guys are in the post, just, just because they can be a little more physical. Um, But I do think that Fred is smart enough to be able to toe that line where he knows he can be a little more physical, but also he knows how strong he is. And, I mean, everybody knows, everybody watching knows how strong he is too. So, you know, it's kind of easy to see him defending all five spots if he needs to. And that's kind of a rare quality and something that is certainly welcome in this lineup, especially when these guys are Coro and Linson might get into foul trouble here and there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the the asset that Fred provides as a guy who can defend up height-wise I mean, he was giving up like seven inches to Josh Oduro, maybe six. I don't I don't exactly know. But the fact that he can hold his own against post players, and he also did it Saturday against Dayton, drawing um, Tamani Kamara for most of the game. I mean, having a guy like that is huge for your defensive versatility. It lets you play small. And, you know, honestly, the way that Fred's been playing lately, offensively, kind of as that, you know, lunch pail, do the dirty work guy, it's a tremendous asset that they can go and, you know, play small height wise, but really still be the bigger team at the end of the day. Um, I, I don't really have anything else from George Mason. It was a great game. I was pacing my apartment like an absolute madman. Once it went to overtime, I'll be honest. I thought during the first OT, when SLU went down five, I thought that they were going to lose because I, they just looked gassed, but you know, a really remarkable job to go against a tough Mason team on the road and come away with a win. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, I think it's important to give Mason a little bit of credit um, or a lot of credit. Because, Absolutely. I mean, they're a team that we, you know, we like to, we like to take our shots here and there, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, they're a good team and they, I think most impressive is that, I mean, they got, what was it? 20 minutes out of their bench total they only got two points from their bench yeah and it was just it was like their starting five were just kind of run ragged but mm-hmm. i mean they still looked pretty good at the end i mean adoro is certainly a load um they've got some shooters i mean they 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 were impressive and it's obviously tough to go on the road to mason and and come out with a win so i'm i'm definitely proud of our guys but yeah i mean credit where credit's due they had a good game and and i wouldn't be surprised to see them you know, in the top four, definitely top six come the end of the year. Yeah. And we're not really going to touch on the conference as a whole tonight, but I think you're definitely right that 
you know, there's probably like seven teams that I can see contending for the top six spots and Mason's right, right there. Um, they're a little shallow, but you know, I think you can still win some games being shallow in this league. If you just have more talent and they definitely do have a very good starting five. So they'll, they'll be in the mix for sure. And you know, who knows, we might get them again in DC. So I would, I'd welcome it. it. It was a tough matchup and it was good. So, yeah. Um, but let's move on to Dayton because I think that's the game we're going to have more to say about. It uh, is a rarity for us because we actually were able to be in the building for that game. And it brings our record in person to one and one. Uh, we unfortunate, well, fortunately, unfortunately, we're at the Auburn game, which is a great game, but just faltered down the stretch. But, um, I, you know, a great, great effort start to finish against Dayton breaks the five game losing streak against the Flyers. I, I think just to start out, Every slew Dayton game when it's at Chaffetz should be a Saturday afternoon game. I think that is a tremendous environment, perfect for that rivalry, and it just lets you have a great day. Yeah, I mean, I was very happy to be in the building for that game. Obviously, we we drove down through some rougher conditions, but <laughs> it was it, it was it was good to be in the building. I mean, it, it's always good it's always good to return, but. I mean, especially for an Arch Baron Cup matchup and one that, you know, has two teams who, you know, are so close in, in, you know, bracketology or Ken Palm or whatever you want to talk about this, even just the standings. I mean, they're, they're two competitive teams. And so those are always the ones that you want to be in the building for that you want to get the environment up for. And, and I think, I think they did a really good job in this one. Yeah. I mean, so you, you were remarking about how close they were. I, I believe they were 59 and 60 respectively in net coming into the game. You know, it was a big win for both teams uh, for slew. Obviously it was a Q2 win. I don't think Dayton played a bad game per se, but before the game, a lot of quotes came out from the slew side, particularly Yuri Collins and Fred Thatch about how slew felt the last time they played, they let Dayton set the tone and that they wanted to come out and Fred Thatch's words were, we want to punch him in the mouth. And I rewatched the game today prior to us sitting on to record. And that is 100% what SLU did. They played a very physical brand of basketball, one that we've become accustomed to SLU playing over the years. And they really just imposed their will on a Dayton team that looked a little bit overmatched at times, which is not what it looked like when they were at, UD arena, uh, about a month ago. Yeah. I mean, they gave up, they gave up, you know, the opening three that was like a step back in the corner. That was a good shot, but yeah, uh, but a tough one. I mean, they, That's... they allowed it, they allowed a tough three, they went down three and then they, they rattled off. I, it was at least nine in a row. It was that, nine. And then, they, and then they just never looked back. And yeah, I think that that's, that's an impressive mindset to have, um, especially in early February. So hopefully that continues game to game. I hope they can see that, you know, that's, that's when they're playing their best and, mm-hmm. and kind of build on that. And I'm sure, I'm sure the staff saw a lot that they liked, um, but you know, in, especially in some of those games that it's a little harder to get up for uh, maybe, maybe at LaSalle tomorrow or just yeah. kind of one of those games, you kind of want to see the same attitude. So um, yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of things to be able to carry into, you know, the future games. Yeah. I mean, like you say, it's easy to get up for a rival. It's very easy, especially one that's had your number the last few years. 
and where you feel like you you've been disrespected to some point where people just kind of count you out. It's very easy to get motivated for that. But if this team plays with that edge that they had on Saturday, it's really hard to see where your losses are going to come from down the stretch in the A-10. And there are teams that match up with Slew very well. I'm not saying that they're going to go undefeated the rest of the way. But if they play the way they did on Saturday, where it's this weird hybrid of the bully ball of old, but with a much more efficient offense that has a lot of pretty movement. I mean, that's a really good formula to win games. It, it just is. They're a, they're a very talented and very tough team that I'm the further we get away from it, I think they needed that loss at UMass to kind of wake them up and say, we're better than this. And they've certainly looked apart in the game since. And I really hope it continues, especially with a week that has a couple games that are trap games. Right. And, and that is kind of um, kind of what we said after that UMass loss. I mean, you never want to, I mean, you never want to lose period, but um, I do think that this year Slew is probably the better team than UMass or maybe not probably they just are. Um, so, I mean, that's a tough one to lose, but yeah, I do think that, you know, that is kind of needed once in a while you need to get punched in the mouth. So you can, yep. so you can wake back up and, it, and it's unfortunate that that ends in a loss, but at the end of the day, if that's what's going to get you going and get you on a five, hopefully more game winning streak, then then so be it. I mean, you just just win the games in front of you and, and you're going to be all right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, looking at Ken Palm and looking at uh, T rank like Ken Palm only they see. Oh, wait, I'm not on Sue's page. I was going to say that looks very wrong. Um Ken Palm only sees two more losses for SLU, potentially. T-Rank only sees one, for regular season, that is. And that's just based on their game-by-game lines that they have. You know, it it's not con- inconceivable that this team could keep this roll up for a while, but they got to play the way that they played on Saturday, particularly in that second half when they were very animated and it, I mean, it was just a very pretty but ugly style of basketball. I don't really know how to describe it. Well, and each time that they gave up a back-to-back three or gave up like a mini run to Dayton, they always kind of came back and answered, and they always hit their own shot to yeah. climb them down, or they always came up with a big play, um, notably that the three-pointer that Gibson hit that you know Terrence went diving on the floor for. I think Yuri dove on the floor the same sequence. Um, mm-hmm. But they always kind of came up with, with a big shot or a big stop or something that that let them get back into their groove so that they can set the pace. Yeah, I think that in particular that um, the three that Gibson hit after that broken play where TJ really was busting it and on the floor and everything, I mean, that play fully encapsulates what this team is and what they can be. When they play hard and they're unselfish and they put the team first, they can be very, very good. I I don't remember seeing a play like that in my time following slew. And I think something, this leads me to a point I really wanted to make. So much has kind of been made the last week or so that, you know, Gibson's output against Mason wasn't fantastic. It was like six points and he had 14 against Dayton, but it seems like defenses are really keen in on him now. But that's not necessarily a bad thing for Slew as a whole because it's allowing them to get extremely easy looks from other people, particularly Yuri. On Saturday, Martin Linson had a, I mean, stellar game. 
maybe the best game he's had in his time at a slew in a slew uniform. Fred Thatch did a lot well too. I mean, there are so many more options on this offense than years past. And it's still kind of crazy to look at this time of year that even when your best offensive player is having a, you know, quote unquote down night, that that just leads to contributions from other people because it means he's just getting hounded by the other team's best defender. It's truly remarkable. Right. And I think, I mean, looking at the box score, at least the only person who I think was the only person on slew that I think had a, you know, a subpar offensive game was Nesbitt. Yeah. I mean, one for six from the floor or for two from three, he still had open looks. Um, They just didn't fall. I mean, other than that, I, I know he played great defense. He had four boards and a steal. He obviously had the big dunk at the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at it and say, oh, Cora only had five points. Well, he only shot the ball three times. So that's yeah. fine. I mean, Linson had 17 on five shots and he made a bunch of free throws. But I mean, Terrence only had three, but Terrence was one for two. And that, that one was a three. Um, I mean, and another guy, just while we're talking, like, Terrence has been struggling a lot lately, but something that's been encouraging is even though he's been swapped for Fred in the starting lineup, he's still playing really hard. I think we're a matter of time. He just needs a couple shots to fall. That's it. Well, he, he's still getting 15 to 20 minutes too. So yeah. I'm a little less concerned about if he's starting or not and just more concerned with what he looks like when he's on the floor. Yes. I mean, I mean you always hear coaches say, you know, it's not who starts, it's who finishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I... I honestly don't remember if he was on the floor for either of the last two games at the end, but I mean, he was obviously out there during, during some of these clutch plays. He, he had to dive on the floor and the pass um, basically from his back to, to Gibson. I mean, he's, he's still making plays. You can still see that he has the effort that he's motivated um, and just, you know, some things aren't going his way. So yeah, I'd, I'd much rather that happen in early February than in, you know, early March. So Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm much less concerned with him not being in the lineup. In fact, I would at this point, yeah, I would take him or leave him out of, out of the starting lineup, but that's not to say that, that, you know, come, come the clutch moments at the end, he won't be in the game. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. Just like the starting aspect of it, you know, a ton goes into wins and losses. It's not just one player in the starting lineup, but Slew is 6-0 with Fred Thatch in the starting lineup. Um, they started him uh, January 2nd against Richmond and then didn't start him again until the UMass game at home. But the team just plays a little bit better with him in the starting lineup. And I think that you just got to ride that until it doesn't work anymore. Right. And like I said, it, it's more than just him, but the way they play, and I, I, just, I don't know what it is, and it's not, a, it's not a TJ thing. It just is Fred brings something a little different. And I think that's what the team needed too. Well, right. And, and you can say the same thing about, oh, well, you know, Martin Linson hasn't been in the starting lineup since yeah. he's come back from his injury. But I mean, he just put up 17 on five of five from the floor. So, uh, I mean, he made a lot of big plays. And if, I mean, if Travis wants to put him in the starting lineup next game, okay. But I don't, I don't see why you would stray from what's working. I mean, Martin's still getting 20 minutes a game. So, yeah, I think the. Really matter. I think the big man timeshare arrangement truly doesn't matter minutes wise who starts, but again, I think a Coro just helps you early game defensively a little bit more and has helped them kind of set the tone a little bit. Um, but again, they're both, it's a big luxury to have two starting caliber big men, especially in the a 10. 
That's not a normal thing to have. For sure. Um, a couple other comments about about SLU. Um, this is the first time noticing that Yuri led the, the entire game in rebounds. I didn't I know he had eight, but that was the most for the entire game, both teams. I'll be I'll be honest, that's the first I realized it too. Carl had seven, Linton only had two, um, Deron Holmes had seven, a couple guys on Dayton had five. Blakeney had six, but yeah, Yuri, Yuri had eight. So, uh, I mean, yeah, some of those are like him chasing the ball down, but I mean, he's certainly making more of an effort to, to get to the ball, which is, which is certainly welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then something else that, that we, we had talked about, but I wanted to point out for everybody else is a guy that's really not going to show up at the box score for slow. Um, DeAndre Jones played 13 minutes against Dayton, and you know he's had his um, his struggles, maybe more so earlier in the season, and he's he's looked much better of late. But him getting 13 minutes, uh, you look at his numbers, and it's relatively unimpressive with zero points, zero rebounds, one assist, um, and four fouls. But he was he was all over the place on defense. Yeah, he and these the four fouls he didn't waste any of them. They, they no. were bad. They were, you know, him, him getting to a spot to stop a play, maybe, maybe reaching in to disrupt something, making them earn it at the line. If it was going to be an easy bucket, something like that. Um, I thought, and we talked about it, but I thought he had played an awesome game. And yeah. that's not something that you're going to look at this line and, and say, okay, well, he doesn't look that great, but no, I mean, he, he made the most out of his 13 minutes. Um, again, he's, He's probably not going to be a Yuri type contributor, um, and and that's that's okay because they already have Yuri, so they don't need they don't need another one. Um, but yeah, I mean, he his minutes, especially recently, have been have been much much improved, and he kind of adds just another look at another ball handler for them to go with. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to shout him out because I thought he played he played really well. Yeah, absolutely. I I think something that builds to a bigger point as we get further into the season, it really seems like guys are settling into and embracing their roles, whatever that may be in a very positive way lately. Um, A guy that we've talked about a bit on Twitter, uh, Rashad Williams, I think the way that he's being used and the way that he's playing lately is brilliant. A lot of people are going to look at results and say, Oh, well, he, you know, he's missing a lot of threes, but he is doing exactly what he's advertised to do and that's get up a lot of threes in a short amount of time and his misses are all near misses. I think we are so close to Rashad Williams having like a, like a six for 10 in like seven minutes type game. I, I, I feel we are so close to that and that it's going to come up big and in one of these big games down the stretch. Yep. I mean, I love seeing him take his shots. Um, He's taken a few maybe poor decision threes here and there, but usually yeah. usually he's open. Um, and I have no issue with him taking an open three. Obviously, you know, obviously they brought him in to shoot. So I'm happy if he takes his open shots. I mean, if he passes up an open three, Travis should yank him out of the game because that's why he's there. So, yeah, I mean, I have no problem. I mean, he had three shots, all of them threes in just three minutes against Dayton. He made one of them. Um, and honestly, that's okay. So, yeah, I mean, I like what he's been able to do. I like that he 
um, has gotten a few more minutes, it feels like, and definitely gotten more shots up as of late. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, I mean, the more shots he puts up and the more that he's able to see these game situations, um, it's going to be much better for him and much more important down the stretch for the team. Yeah. Because like you said, I mean, I mean, he shot three threes in three minutes. It's very possible that some game, all three of those go in. And yeah. then all of a sudden within three minutes, like, that's nine points. He's, he's got nine and, and yeah, I mean, it's just like a mini run from just him. So yeah, I mean, I think that he, he could very well be a very important piece, especially if he gets hot. Yeah. And the thing is, you just need it to happen like once or twice. That's all. You don't need it to happen every game. Yep. But I, I think my final point with him and why I like that Travis is playing him more is because guys like that are very much, you know, rhythm based players where, you know, you need to get into a rhythm of some sort. And it's really hard to do that if you're playing like 90 seconds and out. I like that. As of late, Travis has been giving him like nine, 10 minutes a game for, you know, like two, four to five minute stretches, because that's how he's going to build that momentum, not by going in, out, in, out, in, out. So we'll see if it we'll see if we're right. But I tend to think that it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, and then my last thing from Dayton was the 18 to 21 from the line for just under 86 percent mm-hmm. um and we mentioned it before but it's it's getting a little more and more natural to see this team shoot well from the free throw line i mean we were so scarred from you know those yeah. two or three years where they were like 10th or 20th worst in the country at like 58 to 60 percent mm-hmm. that you know last year they were good and then now being a I mean, a great free throw shooting team. It's going to help you win a couple extra games. Um, it, I mean, if you shot fifty eight percent against George Mason, you probably lose that game. Yep. Uh, and so that the eighteen for twenty one against Dayton brings them up to seventy seven point six percent on the year, which is good for nineteenth in the country, which is something mm-hmm. that I never thought that I would say um, after those couple of years of poor shooting. But absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's something that's it's something that's going to win you games, and I mean, they did a, they did an excellent job. Uh, yeah, at the line. I mean, when we were at the game, we turned. I mean, I turned to you at one point and I said, "I, I still expect them to miss like a couple really like bunny ones, even by good free throw shooters, and they just don't." I mean, it's it is so refreshing, like you said, that they go to the line and you actually feel like it's good. And the crazy part is. And I don't have numbers to back this up. I didn't isolate samples and stuff, but at least feel wise, it feels like it's getting better game by game, but yeah, I have nothing sure. to back that up, but maybe yeah, it's just because I would agree with that. I don't have the numbers either, but I would agree with that. Yeah. It interestingly enough, just my favorite free throw nugget on this, like they only, they only, they only shoot 75% from the line at Chaffetz on the road. They shoot almost 82%. So that probably means nothing. I don't really know, but I find it very interesting. Um, also, a trivia question for you. Mm-hmm. Who was the worst free throw shooter on the team, percentage-wise, with a minimum of 20 attempts? Ooh, a minimum of 20? Yeah, so uh, like Mark Kai won't count, Asina won't count, Rashad won't count, etc. I'm going to say TJ. TJ doesn't hit the threshold. He's, Fred? He's, he, is, he is bad, but he's eight, he's 8 for 18. Um, Fred? 
It's not Fred. Um. Oh, Nesbitt. It is Nesbitt. He's 45 of 64, good for just over 70%. Fred's about 71 and a half. But then you get to Okoro's almost at 75. Uh, and then you have Gibson, Yuri, and Martin are all over 80%. And then you sprinkle, in, you sprinkle in DeAndre Jones, who's only got 14 attempts, but he hasn't missed yet. So, <laughs> um, so I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, obviously we'll take that any day of the week. Um, a, a very nice point that they can rely on as a, you know, a huge improvement. Um, one last thing from the Dayton game, because we would not be doing our due diligence if we didn't talk about the dumbest thing in yep. the A-10 from this year, the Jordair Jet, Anthony Grant altercation, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're going to preface by saying this. It was a huge nothing. Um, it wasn't a technical foul situation. There wasn't a fight. There wasn't even based on what Carter Chapley has said, it wasn't even a real ejection. Jordair just kind of left to go to the pregame to the postgame um, like reception for the hall of fame inductees early. No one's ever really going to know what the full altercation was, but everyone was buzzing because Jordair Jed and Anthony Grant kind of jotted each other a bit. Uh, Jordair jawed at some Dayton players. They jawed back at him. Um, I did not witness it because I'm an idiot and I went to the bathroom because I had to pee really bad. And I got back to my seat and the entire stadium is just up for grabs. So Dan, yeah. what, what do you see? Um, well, I mean, first, I guess before that, cause you missed, you missed the whole stretch, but it was, it was when Dayton had made their late late ish run with about two minutes to go. And I think they cut it to eight. Maybe it was 10, and um, they broke the press. Francis had a gorgeous spin move for a layup that I think is has not been talked about enough, um, but but a nice slick spin for a layup. And then, of course, the steal leading to the Nesbitt dunk that preceded all of this. Um, I mean, I didn't really know what was going on. Um, I know that it looks like they were trying to get the ball in and going to move it down the floor. But then I looked and Dayton only had four guys on the floor. And I saw, I believe it was Malachi Smith in, uh, in the crowd, like in row one. Um, and I don't, I don't know if he was talking. I don't know if he was trying to get the ball. I have no idea what was happening. Um, but yeah, l- like we said, it was, it was pretty much nothing all around. It was, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's a fun talking point and it's like a funny thing that, that happened. And, and, something to to invigorate the rivalry a little bit more which is nice yeah. but at the end of the day it's i mean it's it's just something to kind of laugh about and shake your head and just 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 say like who cares at the end of the day yeah and i mean it, it produced a few memes like anthony grant angry stare uh a couple slew people had a funny screenshot of jet like kind of smirking but you know overall it was a it was the perfect time in the game for it to happen because it was basically over. It happened just under two minutes left and slew was up like 11 or 12. Um, but yeah, I mean, really nothing. I really hope that these teams get a third matchup because I think that that would lead to a very interesting and very spirited like third game, but this won't be the last of a good matchups between these two teams because both programs are really young right now. And even though we'll talk bad about Dayton during the game, they're young and they're talented, so they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's something that that was really good, really good for the rivalry, really good for the conference. 
um, got a few extra eyes on on this game and on on the A10. So I mean, nobody got hurt or or got suspended or ejected or anything. So I mean, all in all, I think it was just kind of a kind of a pretty funny thing that that yeah. was probably good for the rivalry. So yeah, I mean, that's really all we have to say about it. Yeah, I guess one last point I will say is that I guess today on like Dan Levitard's show, it was like Stugas's like funniest moment of the weekend or something. Like it was incredibly weird, but yeah, so it got some national attention, which is funny, but overall great win. Chaffetz was really loud. Uh, We didn't even talk about the fact that there was people dressed up like Colonel Sanders and a bunch of chickens, a lot of weird stuff going on at Chaffetz, but it was a really fun game. Hope that they're going to keep defending their home court against Bonaventure and then LaSalle. Um, We're going to talk about those games in a minute, but I, I guess right now we just kind of want to talk in general, like where the team is rankings wise, you know, do they have a shot at the tournament, all that good stuff. So um, I'll kind of give the summary stuff and then Dan, you can expand if you want, but uh, as of tonight, they're 53 on net. There are 0.6 wins below the bubble. That's another metric people look at. They are 50 on Ken Palm, 42 on T rank and also on T-Rank, they have a 64% chance to make the tournament. Um, there's a bit of debate on how accurate that figure is, but that's what I got on my end. Uh, is it's there anything? Important, it's important to know that that 64% includes um, a possibility of the auto bid. Yes. So to get to get it at large, I believe it's 34%, 36% or so mm-hmm. on T-Rank. So um, that's just important to note. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're seeing this team improve over the past couple of weeks. They're on T-Rank at least almost top 50 in both offense and defensive efficiency, which is really good to see that balance because that's something that we really weren't used to in previous mm-hmm. years. Um, on Ken Palm, their offense is 46 and defense is 63. So very, very similar. Um, again, a very good offensive rebounding team, very good free throw shooting team. And I mean, they're top, they're top hundred, they're 83 in three point shooting. Yeah. So that's something that they've kind of added. That's, that's very important to, to their game. It's very important to stretching out some of these leads or just coming out with the win. Yeah. So, um, I think it's also important to note that they're 42nd in offensive efficiency against quality teams. Yes. Which I think is, is certainly a good place to be um, when you're on the bubble. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's the defense has become a little less about the turnovers and a little more about stopping good shots, which I mm-hmm. think is good. Um, well, the offensive efficiency or offensive, I guess, field goal percentage may be very average. The rebounding rate on offense is, I mean, it's elite. They're 12th in the country, yep. which helps them to get, you know, second and third and fourth looks, which will improve that up, uh, the adjusted efficiency of the offense. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the numbers look look really, really good. This is a good spot to be in right now. Mm-hmm. It's better than what they were at last year at this time. And if you remember, they were, I believe, the second team out of the tournament. So, yeah, I mean, this is a good spot to be. I know that they're projected to be in a handful of brackets right now. Bracket Matrix hasn't updated since late last week. 
So I'm sure they'll be in some more. But yeah, I mean, this is a good spot to be in. Yep. And we, I mean, as of right now, I, I mean, I'm biased. I, I think they're in the tournament, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not on the committee, so. Yeah, but before I kind of get my thoughts on that, I, I just have a few more numbers I want to dive into. Um, if you do want to talk about one kind of reason to be wary, so far they've had um, the 13th strongest strength of schedule for conference only. So they played a lot of weak teams that their remaining is sixth for strength of schedule. So it's going to be a little bit of a bump up in competition. That's not a huge surprise. Um, one thing I do find interesting though, that's not a detractor at all. So on T rank, they, they have a um, efficiency factor for the, your last 10 games. So it's kind of how you're trending. And that number is 37th in the country. So they're, they're playing very, very well right now. Um, their defense has taken a massive step up in conference. I want to say they are second in offense and third in conference only defense right now. So they're performing at a very balanced and very high level on both sides of the ball. And, you know, everything you said also rings true. I think this is a really good team. The amount of work they've done to compensate for the loss of Javante Perkins and also learn from some of the tough losses they had earlier in the year, I think has been nothing short of remarkable. And this team has the talent to be a tournament team. Whether or not that happens will remain to be seen. But the fact that they're in this position right now is about all you can ask for um, based on all their circumstances coming into uh, conference play. Right. And, and I mean, we get some people here and they're asking us, you know, are they in the field right now? Or like, what do we think? Or, or what do they have to do to get in? And to be honest, it's just win their games. Yes. Like, like it, it probably won't happen, but if they, you know, win their last nine games, I mean, they're in. Like that's, you're, you're probably in at that point just because you'll be, you'll be what, 15 and two? Three. 15 and three in conference. You'll be, um, you'll have like seven losses, I think, overall, six losses. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you if you win all your games and you and you lose in the first A10 tournament game, you're probably still in. Now, it's probably quite unlikely that they win the last nine games. Yeah, but you know, it's it's possible, and so I think I think that you really can't be counted out as an at-large until until that's not true anymore. Yeah. So, and with the way they're playing, you know, they they look really really good. Um, they do a lot of things really really well. Um, but at the end of the day, I think for them, it's it's about playing the style and the game that they want to play, yes. and not and not changing their game to match somebody else. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, some tough games at Davidson is going to be really tough. At Richmond's going to be really tough. ECU's always tough. Bonnie's twice in a row is tough. I mean, and then you have just games that you just never know with with Joe's. You hope that you win that one, and then you got to go on the road to Rhode Island. You got to go on the road to LaSalle, which, I mean, it's tough to tough to play really, really well at some of these places. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you just hope you can get out with with a win. Yep. So, and yeah. I mean, we've we've said this several times on Twitter. Just win. It it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be more than a point. Just win, and everything will take care of itself. Right. I mean, those are the things you can control. I mean, you can't, you can't control what, 
um, what Belmont does and what UAB does and what, you know, whoever else around the bubble, North Carolina or whoever does. So you really just have to worry about, about SLU. And, and at the end of the day, if, you know, the last four in is Memphis and UAB and Belmont and SLU is the first team out, I mean, I don't know. They kind of did that to themselves. So and it's, yep. it's unfortunate that they lost those, those games, but I mean, I also think those were important to see good competition and, mm-hmm. and improve for the rest of the year. So, yeah, I mean, you really can't worry about who's who's ahead and who's behind because if they win enough games, they'll be ahead of enough team. Yeah, it, exactly. And and really, the theme of this is just control what you can control. Um, looking at kind of their, you know, opportunities, they have three Q two games left, which are at Bonaventure, at Richmond and at Rhode Island, and they have one Q1 opportunity left, which is at Davidson. If you go two and two in those, or if you go three and one in those, I think, you know, you've done something pretty good for your resume because going four and oh, in those will be really tough. So, you know, win what you win and wherever you are at the end of the season is where you are at the end of the season. But we're still a little ways out before we can definitively say one way or the other, if they're going to be in or not. I mean, yeah, we've got another probably five weeks till Selection Sunday. It was probably five weeks from yesterday. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the calendar in front of me, but um, yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got five weeks, and then, I mean, I think from what we've seen and what we kind of expect, they're a team that's going to position themselves pretty well in DC for the tournament. Whether that's, you know, uh a three seed, a four seed, hopefully, hopefully they win the conference. I don't know, but um, they position themselves pretty well that uh, they can go on a run as much as any team in the A-10 too. So, you know, maybe they don't play so well down the stretch and, you know, they come out and they rattle off three or four in a row and get the automatic bid. It's, you know, it's something that's definitely possible. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's something that we, can't really predict can't really worry about to be honest especially until we get pretty much to the beginning of march yep and i think just as a general point before we get to these next couple opponents i just do want to point out that the way this team is playing right now is highly encouraging but take march out of it it's just really enjoyable i mean they are flying around on defense they are pushing the ball on offense like their tempo on the year doesn't look super fast, but if you look at their conference stats, they are flying offensively. They are playing at the second fastest tempo in the conference. And I mean, they are, they are truly playing basketball that I thought they were going to play when Yuri Collins first committed to slew. And it's just awesome to watch. So whatever happens down the stretch, it's going to be enjoyable. Even if there's some losses thrown in because this team is playing very, very fun basketball. And I, I, I don't want that to get lost in the conversation because too often we get caught up in numbers and everything. But if you watch what's happening on the court, it's very enjoyable. Right. I mean, if you think about where the, the team and the program was at in 2015, 16, 17, um, and you compare that brand of basketball to what they've, what they've shown yeah. now over the past couple of weeks, I mean, it's, it's more than just night and day, even, I mean, even the years that they, or the year that they won the Atlantic 10 tournament and, and all that, like they were good and they're a fun team, but I think that it's pretty, um, pretty much consensus that 
that th- this is just more fun to watch. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you, you do have the grittiness that some people like. You have the shooting that other people like. I don't know. Like, they, they can just – they can really put it together. And um, some opponents will play them tough. They'll, they'll probably slip up somewhere. Um, not, not to say that that'll automatically be a loss, but, you know, yeah. maybe they only squeak out a little bit against – against LaSalle or Rhode Island or, or whoever, you know, it's, it's very possible that they slip up, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, just enjoy, enjoy the games because as of right now, there's only, there's only 10 more guaranteed games. So mm-hmm. There's only 10 more, 10 more guaranteed times that, that you get to watch this team. Yeah. And, um, and that we get to watch this team. So I know that we're both excited for the direction the team is, but you know, you just, 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 kind of enjoy the run that they're on mm-hmm. um and i one last overarching point sorry we're, we're gonna get to LaSalle next um this team has seven players scoring seven or more points obviously a ton of attention goes to gibson averaging 17.4 points but they have a very diversified offensive attack and it is a you know it's an oxymoron or it's overused or cliche or whatever you want to say when people say, oh, any guy can beat you on a team any given night, it's kind of true against this slew team. Everyone has their moments. Everyone has their games. You know, we've had three or four guys score 20 points in the game this year. I want to say all of those top seven have had at least one game of 15 points. Um, It's just a really interesting, you know, attack by committee that they run with, and it's it's been very successful. But with that being said, um, let's finally get on to the game against LaSalle at Tom Gola Arena. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. LaSalle's not good this year. Um, they have had a lot of struggles, but they're your typical landmine game. Um, right now, they're 2-8 and eight in conference. They have... Uh, sorry, they are... One of their wins is on the road at Joe's. One is at home. They're not really getting blown out in any of these games. Um, their biggest loss was to VCU by 19 VCU absolutely blitzed them, but the rest of their conference games have all been within 10 points. This isn't going to be a cakewalk. Um, they are currently 235 in net, 235 on Kempom, 238 on Torvik. It's projected to be a 77 to 67 game on both Kempom and T-Rank. Um, really, it's one, if you come out and you play your basketball, you should win. But if you come out and you play with a lack of energy, you let LaSalle hit a couple threes, you know, you might have a longer night than you want to have. Yeah, I mean, I mean, while LaSalle isn't isn't particularly good, they're not really particularly bad either. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're they're sub two hundred in offense and defense, from what I see at least on on T rank. But you know, they're they're much more closer to like a national average, really, mm-hmm. than than towards the back end. Yeah. Um, and, and that goes for effective field goal percentage and turnovers. Um, they're a decent rebounding team. They and, defend the and... two well. That's probably their biggest skill defensively. Um, but they are very, very poor at defending the three. If you execute your offense the way you executed against Mason and Dayton, I think that you can this is a game where you can get Gibson twelve looks from three. I also think this is a game that if you I think there's a number where I think if you can get to about 80, I think you win. Yes. I think you win. I don't want to say no matter what, but I think it's pretty, like pretty assured that if you can get to, maybe it's not 80, but a certain number, 
I do think there's a point where LaSalle may not be able to keep up. Mm-hmm. So I'll call it 80 right now. If you if you can get to 80 points, assuming not overtime or anything like that, I think you win. Um, I mean, LaSalle, LaSalle likes to take a lot of deep twos, which is kind of weird. Um, but they actually shoot them okay. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they don't defend the three well. They don't necessarily stop teams from shooting the three well. Um, but also, so it doesn't take a whole lot of threes. And, and that's something yeah. that we've noted before. Um, they shoot them pretty well, but they, they don't take a ton. So likes to get to the rim. And LaSalle's actually pretty good at defending around the rim. I mean, they've got Clifton Moore, who's 6'10", mm-hmm. uh, up there. So, like, we'll, we'll see. I mean, obviously, so we'll have a bunch of different looks to throw with um, with Okoro and Linson at the rim. And maybe maybe a little bit of Thatch. We'll see. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, with Clifton Moore and 6'10", Matt McFarlane, um, I don't know how many minutes he really gets. But, yeah, I mean, they, they'll hopefully be able to, to break him down. But yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be all about the energy that they come out with, it, whether that's um, whether that's flat, and then you know we might be in for a nervy couple of hours, or you know whether they look really good. And yeah, you know this is this is one where I could see them, you know, down a point or two going into halftime, or mm-hmm. I could see them up ten after you know eight minutes. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 a tough one to call. I'd obviously like to see them blow the sale out, but I mean, on the road, going on the road in the A10 isn't a very easy thing to do. No, no. And I think adding that just one thing on top of what you said, the matchup that I'm going to be watching is um, Jameer Brickus versus Yuri Collins. Brickus has had a very down conference season. He's only scored above 10 points in two games, but they're the last two games that LaSalle has played. He scored 20 against GW and he scored 18 in a win against George Mason. That was their last game on Saturday. So I think the way Yuri defends him will dictate a lot of how this game goes um, because he's their one guy that really can kind of get hot. Um, and like I said, he's had a down season, but you know, if, if a guard gets hot, they have the ball in their hands a lot and they can hurt you. So I think that'll be a key to tomorrow's game, but overall, I agree with you. This should be a win. The hesitance is just cause we saw him lose there last year. Um, Slew doesn't seem to play particularly well in that arena. I don't know why, but they don't. I mean, we'll we've see. Talked about we'll it see. Before. We've talked about it before that that it feels like it feels like Slew struggles when they go on the road and they play in these uh, smaller gyms mm-hmm. um, across the conference. Um, it just feels like they kind of struggle. So I'm hoping that they can kind of. Um, that they can kind of build off the road games against Duquesne and against Mason because ratings wise, Duquesne and LaSalle are pretty similar. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I certainly don't expect a 25 point win or a 24 point win, but this is a game that I think you, you need to come out with, with some attitude and, um, and just kind of put them down early and just keep going. Yeah. Um, and, and just kind of for the record here, so, so they play LaSalle and then they play him again in three games. I have, and maybe this will come back to my me. I don't really have any worries about the game of Chaffetz against LaSalle. It, it's purely the road factor that worries me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they will be, I mean, especially if they stay hot, um, they should have, have a nice crowd. I mean, it's a, it's a midweek game, but yeah, hopefully have a nice crowd still be on a, on a stretch of wins. 
Um, yeah, I mean, the road the or the home game against LaSalle should be a win, especially because it feels like SLU just always plays a little bit better at Chaffetz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly it's certainly Tuesday's game that that I'm a little yeah a little wary of. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all kind of just about the next game too. So yeah, and, and for context, LaSalle that home game T Rink has that pinned at seventeen and a half for in favor of SLU. So LaSalle's getting seven and a half points for being at home essentially. So yeah. Yeah. So that, that worries me a bit, but let's, let's move on to the last two and then we'll get out of here for tonight. So slew on Friday, we'll get Bonaventure at home and Bonaventure then on the road on Sunday. T rank has Bonaventure as an 11 point win. I think Ken Palm had it at nine. Um, Bonaventure has not met their expectations to say the least this year. There are 106 in net 102 on Ken Palm and 118 on T-Rank. They have basically tried to just do what they did last year, where their starters play a ton of minutes, which is a staple of the Mark Schmidt program, but it just hasn't worked to the same degree. Um, They did win the Charleston Classic when they played back in uh, for their MT around Thanksgiving, but really since then they just haven't looked very impressive. Their resume is not that bad, but their efficiency is just terrible because they got drubbed a few games. Um, Dan, how are you feeling about Bonaventure on Friday? Yeah, I mean, these are two games that make me a little bit nervous um, just because how highly touted Bonaventure was coming into this year. I mean, we definitely where we obviously saw them in the A-10 tournament last year and they looked great. Um, they looked great to start the year. A couple of really nice wins with um, Boise St. Marquette early. Um, and yeah, I mean, they've, they've fallen off. Um, our, I guess, hypothesis is that they look pretty tired because they don't play a whole lot of the bench. But I mean, it's still, it's become a much more of a scary game just because if you do lose, it, it has now, it is now a much worse loss than it was because yeah because coming into this year you could pencil these in as losses or you could pencil in um, at least the road one as a loss or something and you could say okay that's a loss but that's that's a q1 or that's a q1a loss and now it's all of a sudden a q3 loss at home for now and i believe it's still a q2 loss on the road which is okay um and it's not it's not if you lose one of those it's not going to break you but it's now something that you maybe have a little bit of added pressure just because this these are games that you you should win now but it's a Bonaventure yeah. team that that is still talented and mm-hmm. they they still can make shots they still can defend well um they just they just haven't played well this year yeah yeah i i think that the you know it it, it really stinks that Bonaventure has kind of fallen off and now is in this point that's very difficult because they're they're a very talented team but because of where they're at in net it really I don't want to call them a landmine but like a win against them isn't going to benefit at the same magnitude as a loss which is not what you would expect coming into the year and I think it's going to be two good games Slew and Bonaventure have had some great matchups over the last like three four seasons the two teams have matched up very well with each other Mark Schmidt is still a good coach even though he you know, is a little stubborn with his rotations. I, I'm 
it's weird. I'm not necessarily confident that SLU is going to win both games. I feel very good about them winning the second one because it's going to be on short rest for Bonaventure and their guys just accrue a ton of minutes, even though the second game's on the road. So it's kind of a weird spot I'm in with it, but I think they're going to be two good games. I I don't really have anything like super insightful or deep to say about Bonaventure. I've watched them a ton this year and they're just underwhelming. That's really the only thing I can say. Like they get on these very good stretches for parts of the game, but then they also sleepwalk for like 25 minutes at the same time in other parts of the game. And it's just really hard to tell what, like what part of the game is going to be enough for the team, for them to win or lose because when they're on, they're still really good. It's just, do they get down by enough points that they can't climb out of it? That's really what it seems to boil down to almost every game. Right. I think, I mean, looking at their conference numbers too, um, I mean, they, they, they are 13th in the conference for three point shooting, which is news yeah. to me. Um, and they're 12th in the conference at defending the two, which so, is something that SLU really likes to get to. Yeah. So it's interesting. They're another team that takes a lot of long twos. I mean, it's their second most frequent shot that they take. They take shots at the rim and they take long twos. Yeah. I I don't know why, but that's, that's their game. I mean, they still have like analytically, like they have four starters that grade out as like plus plus players, right? but it, it just hasn't, it just hasn't come together. And that's not saying it won't. I mean, senior laden teams find a way at the end of the year all the time, but you know, it's just, it's really hard to tell how this is going to go until we actually see slew on the court against them because they're, I mean, someone pointed this out today on Twitter to us, only five players in slew's rotation were on the roster or were actually in the rotation last year. So it still is like kind of a semi new slew group. So maybe they match up not as well. I, I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think something important for slew in these games is i think i i really think they should take a lot of threes um yeah bonaventure gives up they're the worst in the conference at giving up at just letting teams shoot threes so they give up a lot of looks presumably they give up a lot of good looks um teams don't necessarily shoot it super well against them but i mean if you're giving up like if you're giving up basically a three for every two shots almost for every two field goals one of them is a three in conference like this is probably a defense that you can can let gibson kind of run wild on and yeah hopefully get some good minutes in for rashad yes uh, especially if that's going to help open them up more so i think something that i think something that would be good to see is maybe a lineup of of like yuri gibson um Rashad baby Fred and Linson just to have an inside presence and then and a good passer out of the post and then you know a guy to run the offense slash Yuri has become much better of a shooter and then other guys who can shoot the ball maybe, yeah maybe that's DeAndre Jones instead of instead of Thatch there too but I, I just don't know how they match up on defense in that situation but yeah I mean I think this is a game that you might be able to get off like 33s. Mm-hmm. And if you can make 10, I don't know, 10 or 12, like that's, that's probably going to be the game right there. Yeah. So, 
I also think they give up. They're actually worst in the conference at giving up assists too. They give up. Um, they give up about assists on about sixty-six percent of field goals, which Slew is very good at assisting made field goals, especially with Yuri on the floor. These could be games that Yuri has like fifteen assists. Yeah, yeah, so I might be optimistic, but um, well, and yeah. I don't have numbers pulled up in front of me, but just anecdotally, Yuri has played very well against Bonaventure in like two of the three games he's played against him in his career. So I think Kyle Lofton is a matchup he likes. I don't remember him playing well in the A-10 tournament last year, but I I ultimately, I, I think that this is not a terrible matchup. I'm just apprehensive about the fact that it hasn't come together and it probably should at some point, but yeah. you know, we just have to let it play out, essentially. Yeah, Yuri played horrendous against them in the tournament last year, but he still had nine assists. He played really poorly, but he had nine assists and two turnovers. He didn't really score, though, but he didn't score much at all last year. So take that for what it's worth. Um, I, I don't. Do you have any more points you want to get to on Bonaventure? Because I just have a closing question. Um, no, I'm just just like this is a team to be wary of because they they could get hot and beat you twice. And that's something that you can't have happen. So yeah, that's really why we're wary. But again, you just got to wait for it to play out. Yeah. So my question for you is before this four game stretch at two questions, one, what record, like, what do you think they're going to go in this four game stretch is the first question. And the second question is what record would you be happy with them going? Um, I think to be happy, I think you gotta go three and one. I agree with that. I, I think you have to at least go through. Obviously, we'll be happy with four and zero, but I think you have to go three and one. I again, I I think that they're in an okay enough spot on the bubble that one loss and maybe maybe two regular season losses the rest of the year. It depends on what you do in the eighth tournament. And that's a long way away. Um, but I think one loss certainly for the rest of the regular season does not kill you. Yeah. Obviously like a home loss against the Sal will look really bad. So um, that's one you probably don't want, but I think, I think three and one is something that you're, you're okay. You're happy with. Um, what do I think they're going to do? Um, I can go first. I, I think they're going to go three and one. And I think they're going to drop the one, even though I liked it better. I think, think they might drop it at Bonaventure I saw today they haven't won there since 2013 now granted that's across different staffs and different eras of slew basketball and all that good stuff so you know you take that with some grain of salt but I think they're going to drop one of the two Bonaventure games and it's more likely to be on the road but I think they're going to go three and one you know what they're no four and oh okay I like it it would certainly be big I'm in on four and oh I think you um, I think he, I think they come out with some fire tomorrow against LaSalle. I think I'm in a Friday night national TV game against Bona. I know that, you know, after the game, Travis Ford was asking all the fans and all the students to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be a good environment on, on Friday. I think they get that one. I, I think they, I think they get away with a tight one at Bonaventure. Okay. And then, uh, then the LaSalle at home. Man, that better be a win. <laughs> I I could see it. I could see one tough part of it just because it's two days after the last Bonaventure game. 
so you you play three games in six no three games in five days six yeah they've got yeah they've got and they've got three full days off because they play saturday and then not till yeah Wednesday. so yeah so, i mean you you could be tired but i think if there's one game to be kind of at the end mm-hmm. i think this is probably the one yeah just because again this is one that that you should you should have down as a win. I mean, these sites have them at 16, 17 point favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I'll take them by 16 or 17 points, but again, it just, just, just win, just win yeah, by, win by exactly. one, win by 30. It, 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 it doesn't matters. really it matter. matters in, office, in efficiency, but you know, three weeks later, does it really matter all that much? And the answer is probably not. Yeah, exactly. But we'll, we'll see where we're at. Um, we're not entirely sure if we're going to do an episode after this four game stretch. Um, you know, should considering that they play Davidson next. Yeah. Uh, our, our thoughts, our thoughts on at Davidson are very well known. Um, it's kind of a house of horrors for slew, but maybe this year breaks the streak. Let's see. Let's get through these next four games first. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get back to our Davidson thoughts, but um, thank you everyone for listening. We appreciate it. We know that we've been gone for a while. We'll, uh, I'll walk back what I said. We're, we're going to try to get back into it. Um, but thank you, everyone, who's been following us on Twitter, been sharing our stuff. I know that we've gotten a lot of engagement lately, and we truly appreciate it. Um, but uh, let's go, Bilkins. Hopefully we get a 4-0 stretch like Danny was talking about, and then uh, we'll be back for Davidson. Roll Bills. Roll Bills.